Hello and welcome to The Hill is Always Greener, a show where four friends have chill discussions about Sonic the Hedgehog, both official and unofficial, to distract themselves from the inevitable passage of time and their own rapidly waning ability to relate to the youth. I'm Cyberlink. I'm Falero. I'm Game Buddy. I'm Rock the Jake. And we have a very special guest with us. Please welcome Sam Beddoes of Freak Zone Games. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, good to be here. <laughs> Any excuse to just talk about Sonic, to just wax lyrical, you know? <laughs> oh, we, we don't do that here. <laughs> Nothing to do with um, Rise of Lyra. Anyway, so moving on. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to make that work and it was not going to happen. Just like a, Rise of Lyra. I was going to say, Ooh. to be fair, trying to make it work and it didn't happen is also a good allegory for Rise of Lyric. <laughs> <laughs> but that wasn't what we're talking about today, or isn't, or shan't be, I hope. What are we talking about today? Well, we are talking about some Sonic games, just maybe not the ones you expect. And... Um, I'm especially glad we have Sam here because we are talking about Sonic fan games, a subject that is near and dear to my heart. I don't know if you remember, but the wait between Sonic Adventure 2 and Sonic Heroes was... It, it maybe felt longer than it was, but it felt like ages. And I, back in the day, I kind of wet my appetite while waiting for that new release by playing tons and tons of Sonic fan games. And that's a love that has not diminished with time because there's been so many interesting and creative uh, takes on Sonic over the years. You got me digging up my repressed memories now. Is this like therapy or something? <laughs> I know. So, some of the some of these that we're, we're going to talk about, I was like, oh, no, that was a real game that I, like, downloaded to my family's Windows 95 PC. That wasn't like a fever dream that I, I cooked up as a kid. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited as well. <laughs> there is something quite magical about Sonic the Hedgehog that so many people have made so much fan content of it. I don't know if I've seen another franchise spawn so many fan games. Or maybe yeah. it's just I wasn't paying attention because they weren't Sonic. There's, At least not without getting <laughs> shut down by Nintendo. Yes. Yeah. That, that, too. that also I'm, is a contributing factor. I'm sure we'll talk about it later in the episode, but I do, like, I think it's fun to say up front that, like, you know, although I don't think Sega's ever made a very official, like, public announcement about how they feel about fan games they've also as far as i can tell have never really gone on like a scorched earth policy of getting rid of them and that's led to a lot of creativity in the fandom so it this is a, an especially fun episode for us to be talking about yes for for as much as there is rightfully to criticize about sega as a company that they are stand almost alone for being pretty cool with fan stuff in general i i will always sure. give them props for that i mean the fact is sonic mania it came from effectively legitimizing uh, you know it wasn't a fan game in by any definition but you know it was fan game developers pitching to them and they effectively legitimized that you know, us as fans and and our sort of desire to make said games. And Christian Whitehead was, you know, one of us. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think that that is a very kind of positive way to look to uh, approach it because, you know, I feel like when you're on a dev team and you've been doing things for so long a certain way, it sometimes helps to just get fresh blood in there, get that different perspective to, you know, try something different that's, you know, they might not have thought of otherwise. And that's not to say that fan games are better than the official fan, the official games. I think that's a really unhealthy mindset. Mm. And they a popular are something... one on the internet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't get yeah. me started. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But I think that it is, the fan games do often provide something different that is more, you know, 
complimentary than it is meant to replace anything official. And I think that being able to try these different takes can also help inspire, you know, more interest down the line. And it's even better when a lot of those fan game creators kind of graduate on to become full-fledged game creators and really kind of stretch their creative muscles like Sam. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. <laughs> uh, yeah, because one of the things that they the um, Sonic fan games tend to do is uh, their their new exciting thing that they uh, they do is like, how about we make it like they used to when it was good, and uh, that <laughs> worked out really well for a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I I do love going back to some of these like. I don't know if obscure is the right word, but some of these really quirky ones and, you know, we're not going to focus on like the, the, the bad, weird, like, you know, some of the, the nasty ones out there. But I do love one of my favorite things with Sonic fan games is they would do stuff with the, like the classic formula that like an official game never would. And so that is why when I boot up a, uh, you know, a fan game and I'm immediately presented with like a wall of text or like a long cut scene. I'm almost like, okay, I'm ready because this is something that like the original games would like never do. Like there's little cut scenes in Sonic games, but it's, you know, 10 seconds and oh, the death egg fell. But so I, I love, love seeing stuff like that, that like would never be in a, like a, a quote unquote real Sonic game. Yeah, the history of Sonic fan games goes back almost as long as the history of Sonic itself, because we did some digging, and the very first Sonic fan game we could find was Sonic Boom from 1995, which predates the big kind of fan game boom, as far as I remember, which really kind of took off, like, somewhere between 98 and 2000, I think. But This is one of the ones that I I distinctly remember downloading because it's, it's now I look at it, it's adorable, uh, you know, hand-drawn MS Paint graphics and Sonic is throwing apples at all the bad guys and I probably played this dozens and dozens of times. <laughs> the awesome thing about Sonic Boom was uh, when I first played it, I, I could see where everything was from immediately because I was using the Games Factory at the time and Click and Create, which were the sequel to Click and Play. Mm. And Sonic Boom was made in Click and Play, and most of it is Click and Play library graphics and sound effects, etc. But Sonic is a sprite... Oh, no, this is... Yes, the hand-drawn Sonic, isn't it? The uh, the MS Paint one. Yes. I'm thinking of another, because there was, there was these sprites that came on the Sonic CD disc for PC that you could use, and so many fan games use those. Yeah, but this guy was... This was Sonic on a green gradient with tails just kind of glued behind him, you know, like exactly following him pixel for pixel <laughs> uh, with the little squiggles for his legs. And it's just, yeah, it's trees and bees and apples from the click and play uh, libraries, which, you know, the thing is, right? Like, this is 95. I mean, most of us didn't have the internet at home. You couldn't go online and download midis or grab the sprites from wherever, you know? And so he yeah. <laughs> made it with what he had. God, all the way back then. I probably didn't play this one till a couple years after where I think it got included in a lot of like unofficial packs that went around like Sonic Web Rings of like, mm. oh, here's a bunch of click and play games, like you said. And but yeah, I mean, that was way before that, before like you could go to just a random Sonic site and oh, here's someone's MIDI version of <laughs> the knothole <laughs> theme from Set AM or something like that. <laughs> It is good you bring up Click and Play and the Games Factory because I feel like that was the kind of 
engine du jour for most of the early fan game output during that era. Just because it was kind of like ubiquitous in that it was easy to get a hold of and relatively user-friendly from what I remember. I tried building a game in it once and never quite got the hang of it. I wasn't quite as technically proficient. But th there were clearly, it was clearly enough that, you know, I probably remember playing close to 70 different fan games during that era. It was almost too easy to get hold of because they actually did at one point, they made click and play for schools. Uh, so some schools were actually giving click and play to their uh, the pupils ah. and everything. They, uh, they, they tried to sell it as an educational product at one point. Um, it was, um, oh gosh, what was his name? Uh, Francoise something. I better look this up actually. Uh, Francoise Lyonnais. Uh, and he, he was uh, originally uh, famous for making Stoss Basic on the Atari ST, which was kind of a game creation platform. Um, oh. And then he, uh, he graduated into making Click and Play for PC, which then became the Games Factory and Click and Create. Today, it's known as Click Team Fusion, and it's still knocking around. It's uh, Unfortunately, it's still kind of resembles Click and Play, so it's very, very dated at this point. <laughs> You've still got, like, you still have to use a plug-in if you want to use more than four joystick buttons and a D-pad, you know? Oh, boy. But <laughs> uh, there, are still, there are still devs that use it, but um, yeah, at the time, it was the thing about Click and Play and the Games Factory is that it, they were really fun and so easy to use and, and get a hold of. So we all had fun with it, you know? Now, in this current version of Click Team Fusion, do they include CNCS32 DLL or do you have to go looking for <laughs> I th it? I think it still has to install that. <laughs> I think it still actually has to install that damn thing. That, that was the biggest problem with trying to replace some of these in the modern day is I had to... I realized I didn't still have that around and I had to go looking for it again. Yeah. Yeah, and then they did they did Vitalize as well. It was their their attempt at like a flash style browser plugin where you could play games online, but nobody really used it because it meant that people had to install something to play your games. And you know we were all playing these at school. Yeah, of course. Where they wouldn't let us install things. But they, yeah, they had Vitalize, and I think it was Jordan Bieber was the the guy that mainly tried to use that. Uh, that was Biebersoft, and they made the Nintendo uh, spoofs, as they used to call them. I don't know if any of you guys remember Biebersoft. I, I do. I remember Mario versus NWO. Oh, yes. And Mario versus <laughs> Mario Order. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, had, oh, in fact, sure. I uh, was making Mario versus New Mario Order 2. He handed that to me, and I actually have a, a build of that that never got finished. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I recognize a certain cameo in level two of uh, Sparky. Oh, yeah. Yes, Bubba. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a callback because me and Jordan used to do random things together. And uh, yeah, interesting. Bubba has made kind of a resurgence. It was Ding Dong VG, wasn't it? He does his Bubba Fest and stuff. I'm sorry, we're talking a bunch of stuff without context. Um, so Jordan was a <laughs> prominent fan gamer, though he didn't used to refer to his games as fan games. He used to refer to them as spoofs. And generally, <laughs> nice. generally they got away with being called a spoof by having like a really lame ending where it would be some adult joke, you know, oh, they found Peach in bed with Luigi or whatever. <laughs> but uh, he used to make these click and play games. You could tell it's click and play because there's never scrolling. Uh, and uh, he just, yeah, it, it, they were a lot of fun and they did really well. And he, his original game was called Bubba in the Turd Dimension. 
and it was it was a 2D game despite the title but he would use a 3D program called I think it was Instant 3D or something like that to basically texture rudimentary shapes and then paste them together in in MS Paint or even in Click and Play itself and make something that almost looked 3D and it was just a character that went around uh, pooping and farting <laughs> the thing is it was very popular not so much because everybody liked the pooping and farting but because it was um weirdly innovative made really clever use of click and play you know he thought of great ways to work around click and play's limitations and that was why it was fun right because click and play was incredibly limited there wasn't even scrolling but people would come up with ways around this or ways to and it would make them creative and that's why it's sonic boom you know martin braid 995 that we were talking about it's it's got faux scrolling there's a game engine with no scrolling in it but he's got it creating trees and making them go across the screen and then reappear on the right and uh it's yeah it's fake scrolling which is i think that's it's very creative yeah, yeah, I never look. Even looking back on it now, I never would have guessed that 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 it's whole. That they're basically Flintstoning it with the repeating yeah. backgrounds. <laughs> yeah, basically a handful of trees that are leapfrogging over each other and passing across the across the screen. It's it's so interesting that I feel like that not so much mirrors it as that that devs like continue to do stuff like that today like you know people talk about like um gosh the latest resident evil village like specifically uh like credits um what is it a middleware that is just for populating uh the area with trees and so oh, like speed tree yeah 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 or people using uh like more modern things like um the latest version of rpg maker or unity yeah. or you know stuff like that the unreal assets and all and like and i've i've played a couple of those and like you know everybody always has like a bad example of just oh this all stuff looks bad but there are games that like straight up use like still use cheats and and working around limitations like that or or i love it when game devs talk about like oh yeah there's this nested sequence that uh if i you know undid it would break the entire game but hey it works so <laughs> yeah we put there it are out parts in sparky which create that kind of treasure style um, faux 3D effect, right? Where they used uh, on the Mega Drive, they had to use a lot of trigonometry and stuff like that to create the, th- you know, the, the sort of things that orbit around other things in a 3D way that you'd often see on Mega Drive games. And there's quite a lot of that in Sparky. But being that Sparky was made in Unity, it's they're actually rotating in three spe- 3D space, but it's keeping the sprites <laughs> flat. So I'm actually using 3D to fake 2D faking 3D. <laughs> I wow. I love it. I yeah, I Beautiful. I specifically cuz I've, you know, full disclosure when I I heard you were coming on, I said I got to finally play Spectacular Sparky. It looks great. I'll Thank I you. know I'll like it. And got to um I think it was the um oh, the little mini boss with a uh, Nightshade who's a super uh. cool looking character. But yeah, the 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 way uh her her appendages stretch with her spikes. I'm like, "Oh, that is so cool. That is like some Mega Drive Vector Man." <laughs> like and um yes i i really like that part and i and that's I, the I, wonderful elsie lovelock's voice as well yes oh, of course it is by the way um sam here created a game called spectacular sparky which you can play on various things uh, <laughs> switch and steam i believe at the moment but we'll, we'll get mm. to that. those are the two <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, uh, I do like that in Sonic Boom, the game by Martin Braid in 1995. At the end, once you beat the game, it says, "I hope you enjoyed the game, as it took me blooming ages to make." And it's like, yes, of course, this is a British person making a Sonic game. <laughs> we were Sonic crazy back then, and yeah. we kind of still are. The Americans were all making Mario fan games, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, everyone was playing their Nintendo, regardless of whether it was Nintendo or not. I was that one British kid that had the <laughs> NES or the NES, as we called it. Uh, I say that sure. one British kid. It was, it was actually quite common in areas like mine where we were kind of poor because uh, you know Mattel really messed up the NES release here in Europe. Uh, so nobody bought it. But then towards the end, they just kind of sold them all off for cheap. You know, around the time the Super Nintendo was going to be a thing, they sold them for cheap. So all the kids that whose parents couldn't afford Super Nintendos or whatever, they all went and bought the. Uh, the NES and so all the kids in the, the sort of areas in the country and the poorer areas we all had the NES from that era you know and our friends were talking about Mario because of the Game Boy and we ended up with that so that was uh, I guess that was the white trash console in the UK <laughs> <laughs> it never was because of those problems it never really took off that way until they were just like offloading them cheap I suppose that explains why we had it when we did because it was certainly wasn't when it was during its prime I tell you that yeah, that and the Master System. Oh, we loved us a Master System over here. Yeah, Master System was big here. Yeah. Though. It was huge here. It was like what the NES was over there. But it was the it was the biggest console that wasn't a microcomputer here. I think that's the best way of putting it. Yeah, I think we, we in our in our research on some of the, the Sonic Master System games, we discovered that they just kind of didn't try over here in the States with the, the Master System. Uh, I think there was a came with a couple of games but did not come with sonic one which would have been the big the big one no they were pushing the game gear for that so um if you lose all your lives in sonic boom um sonic gets summarily run over by tails in the in the biplane the tornado makes a big <laughs> splat noise and then tails crashes into a wall and then the biplane explodes it's pretty <laughs> yeah. great as you know i i haven't checked but i bet i know what splat noise it is no, you know exactly what splat noise it is because I immediately recognize it too from all those games. Yeah, it was in the click and play sound effects folder. I was going to say, right up there with that one guy saying, Game Over. Yes, with the echo. Yeah. <laughs> I think the Game Over was originally for, um, oh gosh, what was it? There was uh, Rapunzel. I think it was a Rapunzel game that came with click and play because they would famously include, you know, demo games so that you could look inside the code. The code, I say in massive inverted commas, but it's more um, <laughs> the actions, conditions, and events is what they call how you made the games in those, like a spreadsheet type thing. And they would include demos so you could look at them and kind of reverse engineer them, you know. Uh, and yeah, the one was, I think it was Rap- no, it was called Romeo, and you had to save Juliet from a tower. And uh, you had to just go... It was, uh, you know, once... It was basically a Donkey Kong clone. We had to get a key and open the door. And there was a lot of sounds from that. And I think that game over was in that one. Yeah, that, that one definitely made it into a few of yeah. the games in my big old fan game folder. Yeah, so I remember finding Sonic Roboblast and downloading it. And I had the Games Factory at the time, but I knew it was a click-and-play game. Again, you know it's a click-and-play game because there's no scrolling. But Sonic Robo Blast, if somebody today looked up Sonic Robo Blast and watched it, uh, they'd be like, well, this is garbage, right? You know, this is some kids made this. But it was so charming and so ambitious. And something using click-and-play, it was like, you know, even when I had the Games Factory and I had built-in scrolling, you'd load up Sonic Robo Blast and you just admire that guy's, like, 
just his ambition. And even though, so you'd have, you know, the way he got around scrolling was he just had levels in screens, almost like a Zelda, you know, so you'd walk to the right and then you'd appear on the left of the next screen. <laughs> a MIDI of that Sonic Electronic song that came out not long before then. I'm sure you guys know the one. The ring, ring, ring with the ding, ding, ding. And all that. <laughs> yeah, and would... I, I know that. I know that more from Robo Blast than I do first level <laughs> than I do from the actual song. Well, it would restart every time you flip to a new screen because again, click and play wouldn't play the biddies over the frames. So yeah. you would just go ring, ring with that. You know. <laughs> but it, it was long. It was it was a long game. It had a lot of levels, a lot of bosses, and the bosses did things that. There were things that, that some of those bosses did that I, there are tricks that I still use now that I learned from Sonic Robo Blast. Dumb things that I brought into my games, like seeing, you know, a, a, a boss that fires out in eight directions at once and certain things like that. I remember first seeing that in Sonic Robo Blast. And if I remember right, I could never beat it, but I, you couldn't protect the source code, so to speak. So anytime you downloaded a click and play game, if you had click and play or the games factory or click and create, you could just open the file up and just browse inside it. And that was how <laughs> I effectively saw the rest of Sonic Robo Blast when I couldn't beat it, just opening it up <laughs> and running different frames and scenes and stuff. But it, yeah, it looks, you know, if you looked it up on YouTube and looked at it now, it looks like crap, but it's it just, it, yeah, the compare it to Sonic Boom, which we were just talking about, and like that guy's ambition and creativity in that game is absolutely fantastic, which is maybe it was no surprise that he then went on to convert the Doom engine into a Sonic game, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just the yes. resourcefulness of it. I I don't think it's much of an exaggeration to say that the sequel to Sonic Robo Blast, it might be the like definitive example of a of a sonic fan game <laughs> yeah. uh, you know that you know went on to that and it's it was worked on for probably over a decade and people still make mods for it now and you know it's uh, there's a whole community around that game but it's not like if you look up sonic rover blast 2 a lot of people are going to see it and be like oh it's just like some doom mod but it's the it's the resourcefulness and the the, the creativity of it and the the um, the ambition of it. It's there's something so captivating about that. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, absolutely. I feel like it it definitely transcends that uh maybe even like a very casual observer might have of, oh, you know, I don't want to really fall down the rabbit hole of weird, you know, unofficial games like I feel like Robo Blast 2 almost is like you you can recommend it to just about anyone. And I mean, sheesh, I just booted it up again the other day and just plugged in a controller and I'm like, I yeah, I mean, might take you a little bit to get used to it because it it does have that classic because, again, like you said, it's running on a converted Doom engine. It doesn't have like the, you know, the the uh, the full camera perspective of like a modern uh, 3D platformer, but it's a it's a it's a whole ass game. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, it's it's really great. I, I feel like that's it's pretty easy to recommend Robo Blast Two to just about anybody who's I mean, curious. Even Digital Foundry did an episode on it, and it's it, it yeah. it's hard work <laughs> to get to get a Doom you know 3D rotational sprites in a Doom style game. You know you have to draw every animation from many angles. Yeah, I mean, I I did kind of want to mention just 
paid lip service to the Sonic Chaos games, which are I another uh, another couple that I remember playing. Like I think this might have been the first set of fan games where I was like, "Wow, I can't believe they did this! This is like a real Sonic game." You know, even looking at it now, I'm like, "Oh no, it's still, <laughs> you know, it still has the 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 janky charm and uh, uh, and stuff." But I I remember again, it was one of those where I think a couple of them have some story elements to it with again little dialogue pops up and you know me being gosh was I seven eight years old again just thought it was like wow I didn't even know games could do this (laughs) and and those games had a lot of like really interesting ideas too like I remember you know rings weren't your health in the in at least the first one instead you would you know die in one hit but you would use the rings to basically pull off special moves and different you know effects or whatever and I, I give props to Magic Graphics for sticking with it as long as they did. Like I counted between full games and demos that never got finished, there were eleven different games in that series. Oh, wow! Yeah. Wow, Lord. <laughs> that's that's cool. Made in the span what? of like three years. Worth noting that even though these are called Sonic Chaos, this has nothing to do with the Mega Drive uh, Game Gear. Sorry, Master System Game Gear game of the same name. Yes, I think no. maybe the creator didn't thing. know that those existed. Which is understandable. Yeah, uh, well, I remember it being um, a bunch of graphics ripped from the Sonic 3 and Knuckles PC collection. And a bunch of click and play library things kind of working together. So there was like, yeah, it's like Angel Island, but with like kind of. I recognize uh, those big trees. Yeah, yeah. the <laughs> weeping willow trees and the clouds, the little flat clouds and stuff. And if I remember right, there's like a flower that keeps like open with like a smiley face on it that keeps opening yep. up and closing. And, and that click and play, uh, what was it? Microsoft Sans Serif font in the corner and everything. <laughs> yep, yep. Sorry, I'm just rewatching the first battle of sorts where your pilot uh, Tails is piloting the tornado and Sonic's on top, and you're chasing after Knuckles, who is flying through the air, not just gliding. And Knuckles proceeds to astral project himself towards you, and you have to <laughs> deflect it back at him yes. uh, multiple times. At which yeah. point he dies and goes, Knuckles <laughs> shoots Knuckles is at you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember that. That was another thing I thought was cool that Knuckles was like the antagonist slash bad guy, and because uh, I guess I, I think I've said this before, I, the Archie comics were the ones that pushed the the you know Knuckles was Sonic's friendly nemesis, mm. but they would occasionally beat the shit out of each other. So I, I <laughs> right. remember. I remember even thinking uh, then with this fan game, I was like, oh, Knuckles, he's he's the kind of the bad guy in this one. Wow. <laughs> yeah, the, revol- the roles were reversed in STC. Sonic was just an asshole to Knuckles all the time. Yeah. He was just trying to mind his own business. Look, man, I'm just trying to live my life. Exactly, yes. I love that part of Knuckles in STC where he's just... It was just, always like, well, that, oh, you are my damn island again. <laughs> yes, or, or he spends literally dozens and dozens of issues just trying to get back to... Uh, the floating yeah. island with his, his chest of yes and just stumbles into like the worst you know the worst scenarios like wild west towns trying to kill him or <laughs> the wicker man yes <laughs> <laughs> oh it's very charming i love that stuff oh yeah that nigel kitching stuff that was uh i mean yeah yep. you know you're talking to a couple of brits here and uh i mean that was the p- the peak of of sonic for us you know mm-hmm. of course 
I mean, looking back, it sure beats the hell out of what the American comics were doing, which is hard to describe in one sentence with Knuckles. Uh, uh, I'll think say I, what I said earlier, but do not get me started. <laughs> yeah, we'll so a, we won't. Yeah. <laughs> someday, yeah, someday, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll call you back up for that one. Yeah. We'll have a five-hour uh, podcast with a whole bunch of swears to believe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It, it, I'm sure it's inevitable someday. But Sonic Chaos was an interesting one because, like I said, there were a lot of games in that series. And it was really interesting to see, you know, the developer kind of expanding their skill set and trying different things. Like, eventually, once the series was freed from the confines of the click and play uh, library, uh, they really managed to, like, do some interesting things with the presentation and with, you know, multiple playable characters, expanded move sets. Like, I think one of the later ones actually had, like, Sonic able to do stuff like wall jumps. Man, they had, like, um, rain particle effects and... Yeah. Uh, yeah, just, it was, it, was, it was good stuff. That was, like, the first one of these, uh, uh, the fan games in this list where we see rain coming down uh, in a Sonic level. Mm-hmm. I just think fans like doing that, apparently, because it does look pretty cool, to be honest. The thing is, because Click and Play had no option to, uh, like, protect your code, so to speak, when you made the uh, executable, uh, you could just grab everybody's game and open it up, and so everybody started stealing each other's stuff, basically. <laughs> of course. <laughs> a lot of the ripped graphics at the time were um, just taken from other people's games. Um, and th- I think the Sonic Chaos, I think, was in the sort of era of, we used to call them libs, L-I-B files, which meant library. Oh, was, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, basically in click and play or the games factory or whatever, you just put a whole bunch of sprites, graphics, objects into a, a frame and save them as a lib file instead of the usual extension. And then people could just open them up in actually in their game. They could just have them in their list of libraries and you'd have like a drop down menu of just all the stuff that was in it. And I know there were a lot of things like scans of official Sonic art or stuff taken from the discs and everything, all the stuff that came with the Sonic CD PC disc. It was folders full of stuff on there and people put them into libs and people that knew how to use emulators and rip from them at the time would make the libraries for everybody else. And it became like a community, you know, everybody kind of helped each other out in a, in, in interesting ways. I thought you meant so a community of thieves stealing from <laughs> each other. Just like the actual video game industry. Yeah, yeah. You could just just steal all their assets. You could steal all their assets and then just start drinking their lib tears. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of in a dark alley, like, got got any libs? Got any libs, man? (laughs) Opens up his jacket. He's like, I got uh, got Sonic Chaos. (laughs) It is. uh, You do notice if you, even if you're just looking at videos of a lot of these fan games, but especially the ones that use a lot of sprites, as you will see at the end, uh, the the ones that were nice enough to to properly credit everything. Yeah, a lot of like the same. uh, you know, a lot of the same uh, uh, fan sites that were around at the time that had like these sprite sheets that were ripped. And uh, I, like you said, it's just kind of cool that it was a, you know, I'm sure there were quite a few that didn't uh, uh, explicitly seek permission, but it was kind of a like, hey, we're all making fan games. Nobody is. There wasn't even a way to make money off of this stuff back in the day. And so it was all just kind of like shit shared around. And that's that, that's cool. We're all stealing from Sega. None of us are free of sin here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't think anyone is trying to back up in some kind of thesis that Sega lost a sale from an official game by sharing <laughs> sharing old fan games, that's for sure. Yeah. Absolutely not. I don't need a Saturn, I've got Sonic Roboblast. I don't need to buy this Nirvana CD, I've got this MIDI of Sonic <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and then I ripped out of a Sonic fan game. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Sam, this is the part where I call you out. <laughs> well, there was two. There was because uh, my first that was two. The yeah. first game that I ever put out on the internet was Mario and Sonic. I called it Mario versus Sonic. Uh, but then it, it, originally it was like one with like four levels. But then I, I I added more levels before I put it on the internet. For some reason, I felt like it needed an upgrade before it went online, uh, and it became <laughs> Mario and Sonic because for some reason, like. 13-year-old me thought that Mario and Sonic sounded more, like, official than Mario vs. Sonic. <laughs> yeah. uh, and this never happens was... for real. They probably wouldn't fight, so let's let's <laughs> no, go with they... the... Uh... I think everybody yeah, they talks about that. They play Olympic Games together, apparently. Yes, <laughs> predicting the future. But it was it was always like, um, you know, it was like, oh, Mario vs. Sonic, who would win? And it was always a thing. And then, so I was like, well, I'll make it. And um, I didn't have... This is Mario and Sonic first one. I had sort of partial access to the internet, so the Sonic sprite in it was actually from the Sonic CD disc. There was there was a file, a file full of icons for the game, you know, alternate icons and that. And I grabbed one of the icons and took took the background out. I had the sort of the upper half of Sonic, and then I just added legs and animated them and I had and it was just Mario <laughs> and just Sonic and it was two players that would fight through a bunch of levels from the games um and I got the backgrounds and midis and stuff from the internet at school I would take floppy disks into school and grab whatever I could at lunch lunch break and then take them home with me for the game until eventually I was able to upload it to the internet uh, but Mario and Sonic Return is the one that everybody remembers mostly which was like in a big wrestling ring type thing with a bunch of other people's original characters and stuff in the in the audience and like advertising for other websites as like the you know (laughs) as the sponsored bits on the the edge of the ring and um and that used like rip sprites and stuff and yeah if i remember right it had a nirvana midi didn't it that was like the call out before each uh match where uh freddy the frog would tell you who's competing People remembering Freddy. I mean, I, I admittedly remember Freddy because you brought him up last time we talked about this. Oh, yeah. But, you know, um, I just say to any anybody that might in any way remember Freddy from 1999, I'm, I'm currently in my spare time. I'm, I'm working on, you know, big things with uh, with, with screen rave retroware and, uh, on my work hours. But in my spare time, I'm working on a remake of Freddy just uh, just putting that oh, out there beautiful. with uh with luke luke tarlo a thunder dragon of uh you know uh, psycho waluigi and psy cutlery and all of that it's my kind of partner in crime on that remake i just you know there's a there's a there's a first for you guys as an exclusive nice <laughs> but yeah freddie was breaking my... news in february when this episode comes <laughs> <Yes. out. laughs> freddie was my my original character do not steal uh that i um yeah so i actually put out original games as well as fan games at the time and freddy was one of my original games and so when i made mario and sonic return like freddy was the i remember right he was the sort of announcer when he was the mean gene <laughs> he would like say <laughs> who was uh going up against each other and the crazy thing is the um the reason it says it takes place in a wrestling ring 
because uh, originally it was going to be like the first game, but you had you selected your characters, and I had it so that it would load one of many levels. So you'd select a level, like in Super Smash Bros. You, I had Angel Island and stuff like that. But and it would like create, you know, the characters that you would selected. Actually, if I remember right, I don't didn't know how to make it create the right characters in the scene. So I had it so that they were all there, and it would destroy the ones that hadn't been selected. <laughs> Uh, but that would cause the game to just crash and freeze up a lot. And so in the end, I ended up making a separate scene for every possible combination of the two characters. Oh, wow. Although there's only, I think there's only like eight actual characters you could play as. But yeah, yeah. I ended up making a scene for every possible combination. Uh, and you you so gotta I just, do what you gotta do. Yeah, so I was yep. like, I need to create a background that works for this rather than, you know, uh, uh, having a bunch of levels. I just need one background. And I was like, well, it can't be Mushroom Kingdom or Green Hill. So I was like, what about a big, like, wrestling ring, boxing ring type thing, you know? And so that's where that <laughs> came from. And I was putting the audience together. I put Bubba and Dr. Butchin, the villain from Bubba, in there. I had Freddy, I had a bunch of, <laughs> bunch of Nintendo characters that weren't playable, but also a bunch of yeah. other people's original characters were in there. And uh, just I'm seeing a lot of Mario RPG characters in the back there. Anything that I could rip from Jordan's games. <laughs> <laughs> I do. That's another thing I do now have distinct memories of in fan games is getting to know people's original characters through that they would just happen to be in like two completely separate fan games but like oh i recognize that oh you know green edgy hedgehog from this other game and it was just another yeah like like we said before another community thing of just like oh yeah sure i'll put my my friend's character in here yeah exactly that's i mean i think that's kind of cool which is probably i mean fan games were probably where i first learned about like the famous glitch sonic character Characters that have become oh, kind of canonized. Yes, yeah. Ashura and and Wachina Starline, which have you know ascended several times over to be like uh, official characters now in other media, and that's that's cool too. If there was to ever me. an inside baseball joke. There was a tweet that I made around the time they first showed the Sonic movie when they had that horrible, ugly Sonic design, <laughs> and um, I put a uh, I put a tweet out, and I was like, nobody's going to get this, but the handful that do, I know, are people of culture and i basically i tweeted uh when you're making the sonic movie and you put too many waterfalls in it and it was <laughs> sonic bit, the, you know the big ugly uh meow sonic yeah, like, yeah. photoshopped him to be bright green with black around his face and stuff and, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know looking in the crowd the audience of mario and sonic return um there is uh i can see binky and i can't remember the guy's name mech or something like that. it was a the, the there's a little blue it looks like a little blue kirby with big eyes and there's a green one with a sword as well and that was a game a made in click and play an original game they changed their name to Neko Kawaii Productions in the end, and uh, I lost contact with them. And because if I remember right, I just talked with them on AOL Instant Messenger, and then that thing just kind of died out. And oh wow! Uh, yes. But that person, uh, they they used to go by the name of uh, Splat. That was their name of their game production company, <laughs> just Splat Games. And they had this game, Binky's Adventure, which was, I consider it the original click and play game equivalent of Sonic Robo Blast. It was so creative with its little with its limitations. And it had a whole story and uh, little cutscenes where they'd all talk to each other and things. And <laughs> every little <laughs> level had a reason in the story. It was this wonderful little thing called Binky's Adventure. It's really hard to find now um 
And I wish I could get in contact with the guy again and even make something with them someday. You know, I, I years and years ago, I attempted a remake of Binky's Adventure with with his blessing and uh, never finished that. But if anybody can find Binky's Adventure by Splat, it's it's a it's like Sonic Roboblast. It's a mess, but it's so resourceful and ambitious and creative. And I really fell in love with it. I, again, much like with Sonic Rebel Blast, there are things from Binky's Adventure, like tricks and ideas that I still use today. The In the first <laughs> Angry Video Game Nerd game, there's a boss that you fight while falling. So you, you're just falling endlessly and you can move around the screen while you shoot. But that is just, that's the final boss from Binky's Adventure. <laughs> that's super cool. Just, yeah, wonderful uh, stuff. This goes out to all you Hill is Always Greener listeners. Please help us solve the mystery of Binky's adventure. <laughs> I, I have, I, I told y'all before this that, uh, you know, I felt a little bad because my biggest uh, memories of Sonic fan games are the silly ones. <laughs> but now I'm like, no, I think I think that's going to fit right into the discussion. Now. Oh, I, yeah. I can't wait to get to I, honestly, honestly, the silly ones... You've, probably might as well just skip forward since they're around the same timeline like yes. some of those are like the most memorable ones like i think we all remember the search for knuckles a they enjoy, literal yeah. fi- a literal five minute game, game <laughs> that i played Brilliant. dozens of times <laughs> uh, freddy the frog the original one has a sprite taken from that uh, there was a big arrow because uh, there's a bit where you go down the well uh, you, so you're on angel island uh, sonic gets to angel island on a rubber ducky, uh, like a rubber dinghy. Yes, right. <laughs> and uh, he gets up onto Angel Island and there's a, a, a dog, Leslie. It's like, a, like you know, like Lassie. And it's going, what's that boy? Knuckles fell down the well. And he goes down the well. And in the well, there's just loads of signs that say, Knuckles this way, Knuckles in here. And then a big flashing like neon lights, arrows. And one of them is a bunch of red lights that make the shape of an arrow. And they're all like flashing on and off and like, like a Vegas style thing. And Sonic says, something tells me Knuckles is this way. <laughs> but that one particular big flashing arrow I actually used in Freddy the Frog. Like we just grabbed things from each other's games and thought nothing of it, you know? I, I highly suggest people just go look up the, you know, I think the video itself might be a little over five minutes of the, the a playthrough of the search for Knuckles yeah. because yeah. it is, it's very charming because, uh, uh, you know, some of the, some of the like heavy text based ones, I was a, almost a little like cautious of revisiting and I'm like, hey, look, man, I also uh, thought problematic humor was funny back then. But no, all of these are like incredibly innocent in their silliness well, especially yeah. the search for you knuckles see, you, you see the people that were even good people then and didn't have to make yes. low hanging <laughs> fruit jokes you know yeah, I wasn't sure if I was gonna uh, when I was gonna get to this, but I'll I'll say now the 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 point where I left fan gaming was when it stopped being about this that we're talking about right now this this guy had a fun idea and even if it's obnoxious, like, you know, a, you know, dark horror Sonic or whatever. But it, when it stopped being about that and started being more about just showing what you're capable of making, because, uh, well, the, the, you know, what's now known as the Sonic Worlds engine, which is, uh, you know, famously used for Freedom Planet and I think even Spark the Electric Jester, that was being built and being iterated on. Originally, it was Damazeal's 3D, 360 degree engine or it's called something like that. And as that stuff was coming up, it, it really became more about showing how e- how well you could replicate the Mega Drive games in in 
the games factory or fusion or whatever and and it just became this weird like one-upmanship like this showing off um pissing contest if i'm allowed to say um yeah and uh, and the fun kind of got ripped out of it and in when you did come up with an original idea and create something different and you used say i don't know if there were loops you'd use like a pre-programmed path movement and stuff like that or you just do no loops at all and people would be like well could do with some loops could do with the uh the 360 degree engine or or whatever you know and it just it stopped being about fun and that that's when i kind of dropped out there was another favorite of mine called uh i don't know how to pronounce it. it's either chow mega or ko mega yeah, I remember that. I believe that was by the same creator of Sonic Chaos. Magic Graphics, yeah, I think of that. I mean, that I loved that because it it didn't try to use loops or any of those things. It did what, you know, they did what they could do, but they did it really, really well. And once again, Ch- Chow Mega, KO Mega, whichever it is, is something I often go back to when I'm creating stuff. When I did some of... Uh, some of Sparky and things like that, I just remember the the feel of that game, the way it felt. It wasn't trying to recreate anything else but to just like make a really cool looking feeling sounding game uh and it was it was awesome i think it was never finished they only ever made two levels but yeah yeah i i get what you're saying even as a a non-game development layperson just that feeling of once you start seriously trying to replicate like the the classic sonic games or even now like the some 3d sonic games is i feel like even though with a lot of these games we've talked about you have the oh well this is a fan game doing its own thing and you can cut it a little slack for being janky or Mm. straight up bad because of the charm factor but once you're starting to to try and like one-to-one replicate it i think you do invite whether it's warranted or not yeah that criticism of oh well this isn't you know this could be better like you said people wanting like oh well why doesn't have the loop from sonic adventure or whatnot and i think the the other direction uh the other direction like we've already joked about is people you know immediately launching the other the other way of going like wow this is how it should be sega hire this man exactly (laughs) this is what sonic 4 should have been i mean i'm not gonna defend sonic 4 but you know what i mean (laughs) yes it's and and i think that's the that's unfair to uh, to a lot of these developers who who uh you know even if are, are using like oh doing a 3d sonic fan game as like part of their you know further education or just like testing the waters and yeah. and then like might eventually turn that what they've learned that into a like something they own um i i kind of i always hate to use that because it sounds so like <laughs> like it turn it into an intellectual property that they can sell and make money on which is yeah th- that's fine but I, I i always try and use languages like an original thing that is theirs they don't have to worry about like people inviting uh uh sonic com- comparisons necessarily yeah but yeah that that is like such a minefield of you're you're trying to make it feel like a real sonic thing and it just feels like you're damned if you do or don't if it's not perfect in every fan's mind which is impossible (laughs) i feel like here's my sort of situation is they work like so many fans work so hard to replicate the old sonic style because it felt that sort of thing was lost for a long time 
so that's why we had stuff that led to Sonic Mania, which was this damn near perfect recreation of the old Sonic style. But now, now we've got that. People are like, okay, this is the blueprint. This is all we need. Let's do that going forward. Everything is Sonic Mania now, and it all comes a bit homogenous at this yeah. point. Yeah, I, I think that's for that reason. Like I find myself being more interested in the 3d sonic fan games than the 2d ones because it's like 2d sonic is a nut that has been cracked at this point in my opinion you can make a really polished one of those and it can be really fun but also like i feel like there's not a whole lot of really interesting new things being developed in that front whereas everybody has their own interpretation of what 3d sonic should be and how it should work so you're getting a lot of like really kind of disparate and often really interesting takes on how that can or should or whatever work. You know, I'm sure we'll get to 3D ones at some point, but it's I think what you could say about it is that when everybody says, oh, you know, Sega don't know how to make a 3D Sonic, and you could say, well, if you know so much better, why don't you make your own? And they go, okay. (laughs) You know? (laughs) There there is something beautiful about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. I want to see a 3D The Search for Knuckles. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god oh, yeah. now i want to see that Just wow. in that way full 2022 60 fps 8k remake <laughs> Ray tracing i feel like we should fully voice acted choreographed <laughs> cutscenes. i think we need i think we need to dub oh that. my gosh <laughs> I think, like for real though it's that moment where angel island is uh, sinking into the ocean and it tips up and at the time this was not long after the titanic had come out the james, oh, yeah, james that was cameron intention. movie that was yeah. very intentional yeah well the point is mm-hmm. they they go running up to the corner of angel island the bit that's still you know not sunk and he says uh uh sonic yeah this is where we first met <laughs> <laughs> it, plays, <laughs> it plays my heart will go on a midi of my heart will go yes on. of <laughs> course <laughs> yep I, was gonna say, I, I don't think we can dub that until we find a good tom hanks imitator <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh that's right <laughs> yes I, yeah I, not to spoil the whole thing but the the plot of the search for knuckles hitches on sonic getting a call on his mobile telephone from the character <laughs> forrest gump <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, honestly, like oh, a lot of the goodness. most memorable games from that era were the ones that were just kind of doing their own thing regardless of what everybody else thought. Like the two I immediately think of are When Tails Gets Bored, which was kind of a game adaptation of a series of like hoax images that had been uh, posted up. And it's all weird, kind of weird levels where it's, you know... Tails turns off all the lights and Sonic has to navigate the level in the dark. Tails, you know, clones himself and Sonic has to destroy all of the clones. There's a level where you have to race against Tails and Dr. Robotnik, stuff like that. And I remember actually being really impressed with that game back at the time because it had, like, a lot of really innovative stuff to it. Like, there was an achievement system that would unlock new content based on whether you completed these objectives. And it had it would keep track of which ones you've been doing. Like, there would be special stages to get the true ending, uh, unlockable bonus stages, uh, test rooms, uh, an entire, like, choo-choo rocket-themed minigame level, stuff like that. And I, I just remember, like, being really impressed with that at the time, even though the game itself was often a little bit jank, as most Games Factory games were at that time. And then, and then the other one I immediately think of is Tale of Two Sonics, which was a crossover between the game Sonic world and the Archie Sonic world. <laughs> and listeners, I am eternally apologetic that I did not record the first time I streamed it for these guys to watch. <laughs> oh, man. Because I wish that I had an audio, like log of the out-of-body experience 
experience that Jeremy had when Sonic the Hedgehog name dropped Princess Ayaka from Tenchi Muyo. And he just. Because, I mean, let me give you a little setup here. Is this. Yes, like you said, this game, it's it's Sonic Prime, the Sonic game universe, which, hey, speaking of things that transcended into official things. Um, But yes, a crossover with the Archie comics, specifically, I believe the Archie comics around when Mina Mangu showed up and all of the characters went back to high school and so that specific era of those Archie comics and you know here we are we're joking about again this is I love this because there's full cut scenes full of uh, you know lots of text dialogue and a A whole story a lot of original sprites and hand drawn portraits it's got that hotline Miami kind of look to the dialogue portrait yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh, there's a boss fight against uh, Jeffrey St. John or Sinjin uh, the skunk which is great I uh, you know little headcanon that's Second only to the boss fight against Wing Gundam. Uh, yes, yes. Another, like, well, you know, after the Tenchi Muyo bit, I'm like, oh, yeah, Wing Gundam's here. Sure, why not? <laughs> um, but yes, and we're, you know, poking fun at that. Um, what was it I said? The uh, We joked about how, how fast Shadow goes from um, zero to out of character in fan work because he immediately falls in love with Mina Mongoose, <laughs> um, <laughs> who is obviously his soulmate from another, an alternate dimension. Um, but yeah, and then all of a sudden the anime references st- start and I, it was a lot of fun. I <laughs> I don't know. We You also ran into some trouble playing it, um, especially the special edition remake the, where yeah. some of the music tracks broke. <laughs> but absolutely worth checking out. It was very charming in its throw spaghetti at the wall <laughs> and see what sticks. It was so nice. In retrospect, these like parody slash comedy fan games, they stand up so much better. And, you know, I I think of, you know, even outside Sonic, you go to like, um, there was like El Leyendo de Smelda Macarena of Time. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh i remember that <laughs> yeah stuff like that. you know instead of like jabber jabber you've got like a giant pez dispenser that you go inside and <laughs> the, the thing that sticks out with me of tale of two sonics is that i could see myself at the same age of like 12 13 of this yes like you said just throw every silly joke that is uh, probably not original. I mean, I remember writing my fan fictions and whatnot where it was just, oh, I'll take this joke from uh, Animaniacs or Freakazoid <laughs> or whatnot and just tweak it to where it's Sonic. But also, like, there is an incredibly, like, played straight, self-serious, like, subplot where, like, Mina Mongoose almost dies and all of the characters are very upset. And I'm like, yep, man, like, that, I, I remember, like, that was me, like... <laughs> you know throw in a poop and fart joke and then a major character dies and it gets very serious and i uh it, it does just warm my and heart that's how see. sonic f was created I, yeah kind of sort of <laughs> not even gonna deny it so it, it really warms my heart to see that preserved that specific era of creativity one day one day i'll go back to it I mean, I, you know, I work hard to get a, a lot of comedy and stuff into Sparky. I uh, had John Locke of uh, of Big Punch Comics write that. Oh, in fact, you know, talking of John and Big Punch, I should really go back to to, to, to say about this, about, you know, my, my start with fan games and stuff. Because when I was in, when I first started secondary school, 
uh, I met with I met John and some other kids, and uh, they had brought with them from their primary school. They'd made a Sonic fan comic, though it was it wasn't it wasn't a fan comic of Sonic as such. It was an, an original characters do not steal, and it featured it's uh, you know the leader of the team was Donic the Porcupine. <laughs> and uh, they had Rocket the Squirrel and things like that. And actually, the name of Nightshade and Sparky came from that comic that they had. And I sort of joined. I drew a couple of them for them because they were still doing. They, they kind of had their own little Sonic the Comic style team where John would write, Richard would draw, one of us would color, and all stuff like that. And um, I, I, you know, I remember I drew one where he come up with like dinosaurs. There was some dinosaurs involved. And I remember oh, I could draw dinosaurs. Let me draw this one and stuff and um he kept the name the name it was called big punch but even now his comic uh his comic uh, writing and producing company are called big punch comics um nice and we did those and i remember one of my first attempts at a game was because uh, i had the games factory I was like i'm gonna make a big punch game and i had donic the porcupine and it was terrible but it was you know it was proof of concept that i could make <laughs> a game and uh i mean i had like sounds from the click and play library so he would die and he'd go Bleh! and stuff like that it was, it was terrible but uh you know it was a start i oh man that is i mean that that whole scenario is just like man if that ain't the dream you take your old you know schoolyard sonic comics with the serial numbers filed off and just hey just just keep it going yeah but you know getting him to write sparky uh, um, the script for that and all the dialogue and everything it was like getting the band back together you know and I was like, because things I can do, I can do stupid comedy. I can do playful comedy, you know, but uh, if I want like a, a solid story. So, I, you know, I did AVGN, all the writing for the AVGN games was all myself with like input, right. from, the, input from actual Cinemassacre and the publishers and everything. But uh, well, yeah, with Sparky, I was like, we can do this dumb comedy, but I want a story as well. So I brought John in and it was great. And he's, he's working with me now on something that I'm not allowed to talk about. Oh, which... Okay, if you'll forgive me for being the, you know, the American Yank who started reading STC just a couple years ago, and also the guy that just saw Boss Baby, this new movie's given me Boss Baby energy, is that, <laughs> yeah, the the writing in Sparky, I feel like does evoke, um, I guess I would say it feels like it came out of that era of British funny comics, just from my experience, and it, I find it very charming, and just as like, oh yeah, like... That stuff is still funny. Like you don't, you know, it doesn't need much updating. That style of it's it's hard for me to put like put my finger on it, but like dry, <laughs> silly jokes. I mean, you can still pick up issues of the Beano now. You know, they're still making a lot of the British oh, yeah. comics, and they're still the same humor. It's timeless. I I I, I just I like that a lot. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if, if, I think that is definitely an example. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> <laughs> We're not saying it's outdated at all. Trust us. <laughs> oh no, no. <laughs> so I guess we're on to uh, another era of fan games then. Like, you know, we've been joking a lot about, like, a lot of the older ones, but there have been some, like, legitimately amazing fan games over the years. Obviously, you know, Sonic Robo Blast 2 is the one that has persisted. We've talked a little bit about that already. I don't know if we're going to go into too much detail, because I feel like that one is both big enough and influential enough that it needs its own episode. And it really speaks Just for itself in a lot of ways as well. <laughs> it really does. And we'll have to talk about the cart game as well. Oh, yeah, 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 that too. Or, and the Persona game. 
Oh, goodness. Oh, my goodness. Uh, before we we move on, um, I do think we, we have, uh, like, we've already brought up Sonic Mania. I do think we would be, and even though we did talk about, like, everybody's just trying to copy, I think it, we do at least, least need to give Christian Whitehead's original Retro Sonic demo its due, because, I mean, the the grandfather of what would become, like like we said, Sonic Mania is almost the, the like, full realization of of fan games gone super legit and has become like the definitive thing that long time and even like casual fans will point to mania and say like oh yeah that's the the best classic one i've ever played and and i just wanted to mention that that i i i yeah even before like we did this podcast i remember booting up the retro engine demo i remember playing it on my dreamcast yeah you could burn it to a disc and play it on the Dreamcast. And just kind of being amazed of like, wow, this feels correct. Mm. <laughs> so perfect. So what a, what a piece of history. What a piece of well, history. Well, you could argue that this is maybe the most important Sonic fan game because, I mean... Easily. Well, you think about it, you, you mentioned Sonic Mania, but not just that. If you think about it today, in uh, at the time of the recording of this podcast, and probably for a good long time... This is now the engine that the original Sonic games run on. Yeah. yeah. The version that we are now playing of OG Sonic is running on Christian Whitehead's engine that was made for Retro Sonic. That is mind-blowing. Wow. Yes. Like, just... uh, It it really is just objectively, like, putting that on paper, that this this thing that started as a, a fan recreation of how the classic games felt is now what the it, it, you know the the officially available versions are are running on is super cool the original yeah. games rebuilt into it I, that's that blows my mind and i i think that is super cool like it, i i think we've already gone over like I, there are there are things to criticize about origins as a package and even some of the stuff we've been talking about today is inviting like criticism of oh this isn't 100% uh, like i remember or whatnot but just on its face like that is such an amazing like story mm. of how how that started and like how it is now like uh, uh, talking about things that warm my heart even if you're one of the people that were here- hugely disappointed by origins you can even go back to the mobile ports and even sonic cd the xbox 360 ps3 and steam port you know yeah you know you were talking earlier about you know how we all play these games at school when we weren't supposed to i feel like the epitome of that is ultimate flash sonic which was (laughs) oh yes honestly a pretty amazing uh like port of sonic advances uh general physics and feel into a flash game which was not something that I personally would have believed could have been done. Like it honestly came pretty close to at least kind of carrying over the feel. And I remember everybody played this one just because it was so accessible. Yeah, We all just used to be able to play Sonic at school on the computers and, you know, we didn't care that it was some guy's, uh, you know, bootleg. I think maybe that's my problem with it. It's less of a fan game and more of a bootleg. Yeah, even looking at it, that it has a lot of things, like, it has so many assets from Sonic Advance, but then, like, oh, the, um, uh, you know, like, the jumpy springs are just, like, a tweening shape (laughs) instead of, like, the sprite itself. Um, but yeah, this one really was, like, legendary as far as, I don't even know if I 
personally played it that much, but like would just come across like random kids on like, you know, like I said, like a function or school or something. And they would like start talking about this game. And I did think it was funny. I'll have to go track it down. I thought the developer just recently tweeted something, um, to the effect of like, oh yeah, you know the password system in Ultimate Flash Sonic and the uh, the code that unlocks everything. Well, I couldn't figure out how to make a code work, so the the entry password is just accessing uh, my 100% save file from developing the game, and I thought that was <laughs> really funny and charming. <laughs> Yeah, this I mean Ultimate Flash Sonic is also seems like shifting into a new era because because it's the advanced ones is you've gotten some well, I say modern. <laughs> I don't really mean that. I mean modern for the time yeah. of like, hey, there's Shadow the Hedgehog. He's finally showing up. Well, he was, he was already in there. <laughs> yeah. It's just everything past that sort of watershed of the Dreamcast really, isn't it? Where everything yeah. kind of got a, a bit of a rebrand which actually you know, maybe not so much in the game models, but in the actual official art, what we see what we see now is modern Sonic is actually really significantly different. But yes, oh, yeah, yeah uh, we're we're now in postmodern Sonic. Yeah, I know it. It is so funny to think of like there are really like several eras of Sonic with green eyes than just Dreamcast Sonic. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the game itself was uh, some, not entirely, but somewhat disappointing. But I really loved the visual style they were going for with Lost World. Yeah, yeah. I, I have revisited that, um, gosh, trying to mod the uh, the PC version. Because, uh, hey, speaking of fans uh, fixing stuff up. Yeah, I heard <laughs> yeah. people kind of fixed the physics in that version, didn't they? Yeah. And that game is incredibly charming, very pretty. I, I do love the... Yeah, it is almost a like a concerted effort to bring a lot of the enemy designs to like, here are some classic badniks, except in 3D with beautiful bright colors. It's just, yeah, I don't really like playing the rest of that game, but I love how it looks. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. <laughs> We're never going to be... We're never going to be a Deadly Six apologist podcast, uh, but the rest of it is good. I remember you were coming to visit me for a convention the week that came out, and I remember oh, our wow. disappointments like being palpable as we actually like sat down to play the thing. Bro, oh. I brought the 3DS version with me and got to one of those special stages and turned it off and don't think I ever played it again. I remember. <laughs> it's so, so nearly great. That's the Yes. So close. Yeah. But if we're talking about stuff that is great though, we gotta talk about the Sonic before and after the sequel trilogy. Good segue. God, I love these games. They're so good. Yeah. They're so good. Yeah, Lake Pepper is just one of those people who gets it. Like the first two games are just really solid 2D Sonic, and sometimes that's enough. Like I love all the little extras around the fringe, the cutscenes and everything, kinda doing a fun bridge between the games in the same way that they would end up doing for Origins. But, like, I also have to give props for just doing, kind of going absolutely nuts with uh, the third game in the series, Chrono Adventure, and just really taking a lot of really interesting, you know, risks and adding in, like, 
really trying to do something new with it beyond just make a fun 2D Sonic game. This might be my white whale of Sonic fan games to where I have over the years heard so many people talk about them and have all have not sat down to play all of them uh, myself. And I'm like writing a note for myself right now because these are gorgeous. Yes. They have that balance between the, uh, you know, the, the, what like I said about being kind of original, resourceful and uh, creative and ambitious but also being in that sort of post Sonic Worlds engine era, so it's got the uh, you know the re- recreation of the physics, etc. But it really feels like you're playing, you know, the brainchild of Lake Vapid rather than. So it feels like you're playing, yeah, something. It's it's got his heart in it. You know, it's not just you're not just trying to create. You know, again, I'll use that that phrase of what Sonic Four should have been. But like, <laughs> it's just a, some guy's ideas and his his own personal take on Sonic, and it's got his, his you know it's got Lake Feppard written all over it, which you know would then become Spark, the Electric Jester, and all that. This is very nerdy. That, that's one of the things I notice about it. Like <laughs> there is so much nerdy stuff going on here, and the kind of things that you wouldn't typically see from like a because because it's like you said, it's his game, and uh, you wouldn't see like until Origins, you wouldn't see this sort of like explaining what happened between the games in a sort of like really nerdy kind of way like giving how did Tails learn how to do his little spinny propeller butt thing well Origins explained it in like a couple seconds but this one has like Tails have a different running style before he picks one up after Sonic in the cutscenes uh, in before the sequel it's just really fun I love it oh and and, 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 that, and spoilers at the end of the first game they, they you, if you've got all the other six emeralds from Sonic 1 Sonic uncovers the seventh emerald and gets to be Super Sonic it's like explains that oh, little plot cool. hole i love this sort of stuff yeah yep you know I'm, I'm not much of a stickler for continuity but i sort of appreciate the people who are and when they do this stuff does that make sense yes yeah. i i relate to that a lot to where i uh i have witnessed over the years so many people get into like knockdown drag out fights about you know, Sonic games are goodness gracious. Even Mario game continuity and God, why would you even? <laughs> Don't even try. But you know the Mario. one that I would argue is Zelda. Like everybody tries to say, like, oh, when this one is and when this one is, to the point where Nintendo had to even make their own. You know, which they made up on the spot, their own little. Timeline. Yes, and exactly. It's, it's, <laughs> the whole point is they're free from the shackles of that, and you tell a good story, which sort of you know vaguely references the originals, but. When a fan does it, there's okay. When a creative and positive thinking fan does it, there's a certain charm to it. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. I I love it. Like you said, when it works, and it's usually on a much smaller scale. Like we were just talking about, like oh, how did Tails learn to fly? Yeah. Or you know, even even little stuff. In um, I feel like the uh, you know, a lot of the the, the IDW Sonic comics are good about that. Um, for for a lot of reasons where, you know, and people who are, uh, you know, angry about it would argue it's like, well, it's because Sega puts restrictions and they can't uh, fully acknowledge the games. And I said, or maybe it just works better when you when you reference uh, things like that and people who know about old stuff. And, you know, anyway, I, I feel like I'm going on a tangent. I do relate to that feeling of liking, oh, yeah, little continuity between like Sonic 3 and Sonic and Knuckles, but not being a stickler like, well, this contradicts this 
mistranslated manual from 1993. Like, no, I am not that person. Uh, I'm going to keep my mouth shut because I run the Transformers wiki, so I have no reason, no room to uh, comment on this. Once again, though, do- documenting is is different. Yeah. So, like I said, I, the side of Sonic fan gaming that I've been really interested in over the last few years is the 3D side because everybody has their own like interpretation of how 3D Sonic should be and. There, as a result, you get a lot of really different takes. Some of them, you know, a lot of them are really, they're, they're interesting. Like, I feel, I can see where a lot of them are kind of coming from, mostly based on, like, what side, like, what Sonic you grew up with. Like, you know, there's a lot of people who are really into, you know, the adventure games. There's people who are really into the boost games. There are people who, like are strictly classic game people and really wish that there would be more of that in the games. And you can see all of those different interpretations in uh, all of these different fan games. But generally speaking, there's been some really good ones over the years. Like the one I feel like a lot of people talk about is that Sonic Utopia demo from several years ago. That's, you know, still waiting on it, but I feel like that one was one of the ones that like really broke through into the mainstream conversation had a lot of people talking about it that that's the first one i remember and again i know we were joking about this that was the first one i remember seeing the (laughs) sega hire this person (laughs) 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 but i mean that i think that does just speak to the that it blew a lot of people's minds with its with its examples sonic utopia is it's is really cool and really impressive I think my problem with it is um, it's got the whole thing of it when people say, oh, Sega, why don't you just do this? And it's like, yes, this is very impressive, but do you want to design a level that works? Do you want to give it a try? Like, yes. Yeah. yes. Like, if you look at any gameplay of Sonic Utopia, you're kind of freely roaming around and there are platforms, but you're just skipping over them because the physics just allow you to just kind of skip everything. There's all the a whole bunch of level design that you 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 just breeze past and you it's it, it kind of feels uh, it, it it kind of shows why a 3d sonic kind of has to be funneled into a into a, a, a almost a tunnel at times if that makes sense now yeah now hold on sam <laughs> are are you trying to tell me right now that game development is hard <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm saying like it is when people say why haven't sorry, Sega sorry. done this it's like well there are probably many reasons and again you play this demo and it, it really very much feels like a big tech demo and look I'm not insulting it's it's beautifully done but no, I can't no. ever really imagine actual level design in this uh in this 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 engine in this world if that makes sense yeah, it feels great uh, to play but the problem is that since you've got this big open world there's just not a whole lot to do in it. Like you can kind of run freely around. There is an exit, but at the same time, you've got this big open space with no real objectives. Like the enemies are kind of scattered around. It's, Mm. you know, it's a great proof of concept. It just needs, you know, kind of a little bit more focus to it. To sort of add to that, it's more sort of, there are things to do, but there's no reason to do them. Uh, I mean, but yeah. like, there are yeah. corkscrews, there are loops, there are things like that. But it's like you just just run past them, jump over them, use all the momentum that you've gained to skip everything. Which, which, if I could, I could kind of frame it a different way. Is it's not so much we're we're like criticizing this. No, not at all. It's absolutely amazing. 
on the whole, it's it's. I think we're saying that when you look at it, it's more of how would you take something built off this concept and turn it into a 15 to 20 hour game that you have to market and sell for yeah. 40 to 60 dollars yeah. which and the answer is you would <laughs> yes because, and uh, i think i think that is the 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 beauty of the fan games we were talking about is that especially if it's a sonic fan game that you're not planning on uh, you know turning into a, a a product to sell then you don't have to worry about that but i sega and sonic team do and definitely definitely have have lots to 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 criticize about them you know things you don't like about the game but yeah at the end of the day they have to like turn around and sell you a new sonic game so that they gotta do they gotta do something something more than than uh what the what the sonic utopia demo says but again that's that's not too sandbox like it's it's a a lovely it's a lovely sandbox yes fun for a while but but what we're really criticizing is the fans you know the fans who are just pointing and saying look look at sega this is what you do you just have tonic run around (laughs) yeah okay cool then what? I can probably sum it up, uh, you know, without without going off on too much of a tangent. But effectively, when they made Sonic Unleashed, they showed that in terms of like actual units of measurement, uh, he, he runs at three hundred miles per hour. And when you think about generating three D levels, uh, the level designer has to model three hundred miles worth of ground, worth of level, mm. for every hour of gameplay. And so what's your answer to that? You, you, you either repeat sections, you know, you do like uh, mission style stuff like you do in uh, Generations, Secret Rings or the like, or you think of some other stuff that you do to slow you down. That's why we get werehogs. That's why we get emerald hunting, et cetera, et cetera. Just because this style of gameplay, it takes too long to make levels for. Yeah. Yeah. I, although I do feel like there's a, maybe a little bit of better balance than Oh, I completely agree. <laughs> Slowing it down, and then this bringing it to a dead yes, halt. Yes, no, I completely yeah. agree. I'm just saying, like, time. this is why they land on some of these bizarre decisions. Yes. It's because there's oh, a reason no, they have I to get, make yeah. them. Yeah. Oh, man, these daytime stages are just too fun. Well, I've got an idea. <laughs> Well, I, I I do think I I think it's more of a and and I think they are correct for assuming this is that even though people uh you know I don't really like the Werehog either but then I think if they released a a modern Sonic title in that era like you know even Generations like you said Generations has lots of repeatable levels and missions if they released a modern 3D Sonic game even if it was the best the gameplay has ever felt if it was only three or four hours long I. I think people would lose their minds collectively. Oh, Did you mean Sonic, Sonic Forces? Forces? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. yeah Sonic Forces are really great five minutes that yeah. of gameplay. Yeah. And I mean, even that one has a lot of padding and extra missions and, you know, the, the character creator and. Oh, man, that's a whole, that is definitely one, you know, that is on the list of I want to examine, because that game also feels like they cut, like, a third to half of it out before they finished That is effectively the it. game that these games become, if you don't find some kind of way of slowing it down or adding some kind of friction, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very it's a very interesting uh, a formula to think about. It's a real dilemma, really. 
a hedgehog still in Murphy. Oh my god, we got we're going existential. We're going to Evangelion. Are we? We're fully sinking up. <laughs> Unfamiliar ceiling. Oh, so what was? Oh, Sonic Utopia. Great proof of concept. Maybe needs a little more to like figure out how to build a game out of that. I mean, the fact that we haven't had a full game yet, is, you know, tells you a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I don't mean this as an insult to the game. It's fantastically put together. It's just when people say, oh, you know, why aren't Sega doing this? Like, there are many reasons, which I think if you know much about game design should be evident. Yes, I, th- I think that's a that's a, a, a perfect way to 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 in that <laughs> to to wrap that up. <laughs> it's a really cool. What if, isn't it? On the other side of things, you've got Sonic World DX, which is probably one of the more ambitious 3D games I've seen just because of how much they are trying to do with it. It's like, okay, you're, they've got, currently got 16 characters, 14 levels. They want to shoot for 50 and 40, respectively. And also <laughs> work in a chow garden and a big open like open world space with stuff to find. It's like, okay, yeah, sure, that's... Go with God, because I don't know how you're going to pull all of that off. And I, I admit, like, I was harsh on, like, some of the earlier versions of this game, but I feel like with some of the more recent revisions, they finally started to crack that nut. Like, the level design has gotten better. The whole thing has gotten a lot more refined. And, you know, it still remains to be seen if they'll be able to pull it off all, you know, by the time it's over. But it's clearly a very passionate team that is trying to do as much as they can, and I respect them for it. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be the best game of 2052. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say exactly, Jake, that one of those you say, I, you know, what? I wish them the best of luck because it is one of those, like you said, ambitious. I'd go for it. <laughs> don't go. don't want to stand in your way. The GDD of this was just a Microsoft Word document with the phrase, I can dream, Harold. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm looking at the trailer now and I forgot that, yeah, the equipment shop. It's got the A guy from Sonic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just because they could. Yeah. Although they do also have a lot of really interesting ideas. Like one of the things I really like is that every just like the main games, every game has like the five red star rings. And if you find them all, you unlock an encore version of that stage that turns it into a completely different stage with its own mechanics. Aww. So like Emerald Coast, if you unlock the Encore version of that, it's still Emerald Coast, but it's the Sonic Shuffle version. So there's like little things on the ground you can walk over that will do like have extra effects, like give you rings or take damage. And I think that's such a clever idea. And I really respect, you know, a lot of creativity there. Man, I'm sorry. I'm looking at, I'm on the official webpage now looking at the characters list. Uh, we've already spoiled how many there are, but it's just Sonic the Hedgehog, Miles Tails Prower, Knuckles the Echidna. Amy Rose, Shadow the Hedgehog, Rouge the Bat, Cream the Rabbit and Cheese, Blaze the Cat, Silver the Hedgehog, E123 Omega, Espio the Comedian, Charmy B, Vector the Crocodile, Big the Cat and Froggy, Marine the Maracoon, Mighty the Armadillo, Ray the Flying Squirrel, Chaos, Takar the Echidna, Fang the Sniper, Bean the Dynamite, Bark the Polar Bear, Jet the Hawk, Wave the Swallow, Storm the Albatross, Tiara the Manx, that's Tiara yeah. Bowski from Sonic Extreme, <laughs> oh my Honey the Cat, Shade the Echidna, Mephiles the Dark, Heavy and Bomb, and the rest. And uh, the rest. <laughs> there's a lot here. It, it is a game where they are trying to do as much as possible, and for the most part, like the quality is holding up pretty well for 
uh, everything they're trying to do. So I'm eager to see how far they can get with that one. On, on sort of a different spectrum, one game that is probably one of the better 3D Sonic fan games I've seen, short and sweet, is Sonic GT, which yeah. we, I streamed that for these guys, and we were all kind of in agreement that like this one... It's very short, but it's kind of the full package. This feels the closest to me, like I was talking about, about all the uh, the classic Sonic fan games, of t- taking, doing your own thing and something that, like, Sega would never do, because this one has a fully voiced, like, story. Uh, Mighty the Armadillo is... is- <laughs> like one of the main characters um like the, a lot of the cutscenes are presented in like a visual novel style and, and it really does feel like uh, uh you know like we were saying before is they just took sonic as like the frameworks and then did like their own cool uniquely inspired thing with it and i i just can't help but admire that and sonic is kind of an the shadow in this. Uh, <laughs> it's a line he says where he says, Is it bad if I, I say I kind of liked him best when he was sacrificing himself for the sake of the planet? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Tail, Tails immediately follows up, like, You shouldn't joke like that. Who's joking? <laughs> yep, yep. Big STC energy. <laughs> the game honestly feels like really good to play, the way it uses momentum and also a lot of the. more modern mechanics without having to rely on the boost as well like it feels like a really good balance between classic and modern sensibilities with also some good level design to back that up and i'm really excited to see what that developer goes on to make in the future it's a game that's the (laughs) thing They've, they've got all these cool concepts but they've made they've making a game out of it i really like it yes it's a big deal it can be you know there's a difference between making a game and proving a concept isn't it yeah there, there's a couple others that we definitely wanted to shout out uh sonic smackdown is an interesting one it's a 2d fighting game using sonic characters and you know it's a lot of reused animations from other fighting games like you can see chaos uses a lot of venom animation sonic is based on rashid blaze is just akuma but it's actually found a lot of like play with a lot of professional fighting game players so it's kind of getting outside of just the sonic fan game circle and that's kind of cool to see it's almost showing an alternate take on sonic the fighters something that could be a lot more uh, a lot deeper and you know better put together yeah it's it's definitely more in line with what you'd expect out of like a marvel versus Capcom. which i realize i spent ages going on about the whole thing no this is what sega should have made and then i've said exactly that about sonic the fighters but you know what I mean. <laughs> Yes, yes. We know the difference. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, and I, I just to say that like the fact that Sonic the Fighters and Sonic Battle exists that like they they could do something they could do something more in line with a traditional fighting game and I think people would really like yeah. it. One that I know Jake and Jeremy were big fans of is uh, Sonic and the Fallen Star, yeah. which just came out recently. Uh, well, in preparation for this episode, um, I, I actually I was looking at the Sage like 2022 like list of games that were out, and I saw this in the listing. And I was like, that looks pretty cool. Let me try that out. And uh, yesterday, for the most part, and a little bit today, I was able to play it. And like, man, this. Sonic and the Fallen Star just it, it rocks. It is so so good. Like the controls are tight, the the animations and everything are so cool. I love one of my my favorite like little uh, design aspects that I really love is that when Sonic jumps as he's falling down, he like has his arms and like spread out completely, like he, like he's anticipating the fall. And it's just there's so many 
cool little attention to detail things and that's actually the uh the, the sonic fan game classic is uh doing the old sonic cd dropping after after he comes out of a, a role <laughs> but this it's done it's run really nicely yeah, here i really yeah. like the bespoke animation and style i think this is a great example of like how we talked about how sonic fan games kind of shifted into oh well let's just replicate the classic ones and i feel like fast forward and this is a great example of how you can do that and make a completely like fresh and original thing because I, it feels like this thing has like a hundred percent like uh, a unique art assets and sound design and music and it still feels like a you know what you would call a sonic game uh, you know and still has like <laughs> i think we also joke on and off air like oh you know it's a sonic fan game because it has the super peel out in it even yeah. though <laughs> <laughs> that was only in sonic cd but it looks really great in this game and yeah, it's just great. Like, there's a lot of verticality, which if I had, to, I guess if I had to compare it, feels like a, maybe like a Sonic Rush thing to where like you can not only, uh, you know, get on the high, you know, the high area of the, the level layout, but go like beyond that. Like if you want to zip across the top because you hit the, uh, the jump panels just right, but would highly recommend people check out Sonic and the Fallen Absolutely. Star. Yeah, it's our complete game. It's done. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. I'm sure there'll be other versions, but yeah, it looks great. Hey, your editor Game Buddy here to let you know that unfortunately, after this point in the episode, Sam was kidnapped and taken prisoner by the evil Metal Sonic, which is much more interesting than the reality that we were keeping him up very late with our recording and he had other things to attend to being a responsible adult. We're very thankful that he could hang out and share some of his game developer knowledge. And we hope you check him out at Freak Zone Games and give Spectacular Sparky and their other projects a try. They're a lot of fun. So one game that I will always go to bat for is Big's Big World, which <laughs> mm. I, sh- I shared it for, with these guys for the first time uh, leading up to this episode. I, I know Chris had seen it. I don't think Jeremy or Jake had. And... That that is a game that I feels like it meets you know Sam's what Sam was talking about earlier about somebody who just had an idea and developed it until it all came together and it really does feel like it has that old game mentality to it. Yes, I think this ticks a lot of boxes we have come up with is that it's like you said it's a big sandbox but there's things to do. Also, it does cute little continuity things by <laughs> populating this world with every possible reference you could you could think of. Um and also, yeah, does does things that a, a official Sonic game never would like yeah making an entire standalone game starring Big, who can collect the Chaos Emeralds and achieve a super form. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers, but uh, yeah. Uh, this is, this is I like to consider this part of Big's big renaissance that we've been seeing of late. Mm-hmm. Because uh, even returning to Sonic Frontiers, uh, that's yeah, uh, this is a great, great part of the new Big uh, return to form. And it's interesting that the game has found an audience as well. Like I've found like an entire speedrunning community around that game just to see who can <laughs> find Froggy as fast as possible. 
Yeah, I remember you were sharing some strats while you were playing it. Like, oh, you got to yeah. go get this emerald first because it has this power. And oh man, that's good stuff. Yeah, and it's it's clearly a passion project. You don't model little planet and the mountain with a chain tied to it, or the entire Robotnik Observatory from Adventures of Sonic, if you're not passionate. <laughs> and of course, we can't talk about Sonic fan games without talking about. Sonic Dreams Collection. Ah, yes. This is well known and understood by many people who aren't even Sonic fans. We don't have to spend a long time on it. I just wanted to go to bat for this one because I think if you've only experienced it through YouTube personalities, no shade to anyone in particular, you might think that this is just a taking the piss out of like the weird corners of Sonic fandom. But I... I really like Arcane Kids' games. Um, the one they did before this was uh, Bubsy 3D, Bubsy Visits the James Terrell Retrospective, <laughs> which, again, I'm saying if you haven't played it, go out and play it. I think they actually end up achieving like a very smart like satire slash critique of video games as an art medium. And even though there is some weird shit, in Sonic Dreams Collection, I it, I find it very charming in its silliness. I I feel like there's there's not a ton of uh, naked judgment on uh, you know the weird stuff that they are are necessarily uh, poking fun at in Dreams Collection. It's definitely still available to track down. I would recommend experiencing it yourself instead of just a you know a, an admittedly funny video. <laughs> there's a whole bit where you where Sonic is your roommate and um, Eggman is your wingman sending you messages on an old Nokia phone and uh, (laughs) it has to be experienced, I think. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) For sure. Yes. Just just a video does not do it justice. (laughs) And that's not even the weirdest thing in the video or in the game itself. So, yeah, that's uh, we, we would be remiss not to mention it. Yeah, honestly, the best part of looking back at all these fan games is to see how many of these developers have gone on to actually produce original content. You know, like, obviously, you know, you look at Freedom Planet, which started life as a Sonic fan game and went on to its own great success. You look at Spark the Electric Jester, which has become a whole subseries that spawned from Lake Pfeffer's work on Before and After the Sequel. You look at, you know, there's plenty of other games coming out, like the Sonic GT team is working now on Project Rascal. You see other Sonic fan games that have shifted to original stuff, like Brock Crocodile, Advent Neon, Lightspeed Lena, Mina and Melody. Like we talked about before, everything with like Taxman and Stealth on, you know, Sonic Mania and all of the more recent Sonic ports, it's, it's just really nice to see so much of that, you know... So many of these people who honed their skills making these fan games going on to much bigger and greater things. And even our poor dear kidnapped friend <laughs> Sam with his Freak Zone Games catalog of <laughs> uh, memorable fan games has gone on to... like Yes, he creates some great fan games, but he's also gone on to create some real legitimate games out there, including the Angry Video Game Nerd video games. And of course, Spectacular Sparky, which you've already gushed about. And we're going to keep gushing about. <laughs> I I remember I, I you know I I did not know who Sam was back when those original Angry Video Game Nerd games came out, and remember seeing uh you know pop up on some like uh uh the Let's Players and stuff I follow, and they are incredibly 
charming games for for i mean look i i guess it is unique that it is a an internet personality based like licensed game but i mean when you think licensed games especially in that style um it's hard not to immediately think like okay well what are we getting ourselves into here and i was very surprised at how great those games are and have rightly so have a a nice uh uh a fandom of themselves and yeah like you know this whole time we've been i've been gushing about spectacular sparky and what a fun game that is and really does feel like a lost mega drive title that was just plucked out of thin air yeah I mean, hell, I even looked up Freak Zone Games and they made the uh, that cool Manos the Hands of yeah. Fate uh, uh, game. I love that. <laughs> it's even Torgo's Pizza and Spectacular Sparky on yeah. a billboard. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I like I said, I wish I had a better way to describe like, oh, yeah, these these fan game makers that have created their own thing that they can put out. Um, but they have have created their own worlds with these these original games and um like you said stuff like freedom planet and yeah and and um spectacular sparky just really do feel like they carry the spirit of of those those fan games that is kind of unique to even sonic games as as a whole i feel like they they carry on that spirit while still being their own original thing yeah. And I think in a way we can kind of circle back around to the fact that Sega, again, doesn't have a scorched earth policy when it comes to fan games, because like we all know that, you know, forums and, and community websites are a thing that exists and therefore people can associate and talk about game development and stuff. But the fact that Sega doesn't go out and try to stomp down every single fan game that comes out. It not only allows people to be creative, but it allows people to be able to discuss back and forth, especially people who are in game development and really know what they're talking about, allowing people to talk about, hey, this is a great game. Here's some suggestions that could really elevate it. And then, you know, honestly, I I don't know the personal history of all these people who have ascended to these more legitimate, which what we're, what we're calling it, games that are sold on like e-markets and stuff. But I'd be willing to bet that like because of the community around it, they probably got to have some very critically good feedback that helped them inform better game making decisions that led to the games that they made like freedom planet like spectacular sparky like midi and melody and stuff like that yeah i i think you're i think you're right that they they were able to carry the the best parts of that community forward with them uh when when getting feedback for their for their new games and you know sega they like the fans a bit uh, they've let not just in fan like games uh various fans have sort of ended up contributing to sega for real for real <laughs> uh in future titles and uh it's pretty great uh seeing the the people who grew up with sonic just like us going on to be a part of the franchise and that's why we got sonic mania which is a really good one even if we kind of dunked on all the people who just copy it now <laughs> <laughs> Well, yes, like like we tried to always wrap around. We we dunk with love. Like we <laughs> yes. are we're yeah. we're we're not yes. It, and again, just want to reiterate for for as many uh problems as I have with Sega is that yes, the fact that they just got to say that like compared to Nintendo, like hey man, I had to torrent an unfinished version of another Metroid 2 remake just to play it uh because they 
it's it's insane. It is absolutely crazy the draconian attitude that Nintendo has with anyone trying to make a even an obvious like send up slash parody game using you know even referencing their property and they will just absolutely like fire all cannons at you scorched earth. Um, so it is absolutely a, a a breath of fresh air to see Sega just say yeah yeah whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Sega does, as they say. What What Nintendo don't. What Nintendo don't. (laughs) Yeah, that about brings us to the end of the episode. So you can find me on Twitter at Cyberlink420. You can find me at Twitter and all the socials at Falero. That's F-A-U-L-E-R-R-O. Ooh, I like this new spin on the jingle. Yeah, I thought I'd remix it for the (laughs) modern day. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at GreatJobJeremy. That's G-R and the number eight. And GameBuddy, just about everywhere else. Sometimes there's a one, two, three in there. (laughs) (laughs) You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at RockTheJake. And you can find me on Twitch at MrRockTheJake. And you can find Sam on Twitter at FreakZoneGames. Also make sure to check out his website at FreakZoneGames.com. Hopefully by the time you hear this episode, he'll be free from the clutches of Metal Sonic and you'll be able to, you'll be able to continue Twittering and using all of the social medias. But uh, No promises. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> and special thanks as always to Amy Waters for the use of our theme song from the album Gotta Go Slow. You can ch- find more of her work on YouTube and Bandcamp. And of course, remember to subscribe, review, share, all that good stuff to help us grow the podcast and get it out there a little bit more so we can keep doing it. Especially in a case like this where we get to really shine a spotlight on some just wonderful fan community games. Amen to that. Now, as for our next episode, we're not going to tell you what we're doing because it's going to be something a little different. (laughs) Something seasonal, let's say. Yeah, I like when we do this and we we have a seasonal episode coming up and we're just like, we're not going to tell you what it is. It's going to be a surprise. <laughs> just like a, like a present that you might get at this time of the year. And it's definitely not because our plans might fall through. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, never, never. It's never happened. Mm. But join us for something that matches this time of the year, this romantic time of the year or maybe it won't i guess we'll find out (laughs) (laughs) together but until then i'm cyberlink i'm valero i'm game buddy and i'm rock the jake and this is where sam would come in to uh read the final trivia quote as we tend to give to our guests but unfortunately he is in the clutches of metal sonic so but fortunately he took the time to record it ahead of time because he was very excited to share that with us so um Jeremy, if you'd be happy to play that for us. I brought with me, uh, for you guys, um, some some of the wisdom of Tikal from Sonic Adventure, the ancient echidna. Because I feel like she's got some lines which I'd like to see in Fortune Cookies. So I'm going to give you some of the wi- some, some wise quotes from Tikal the echidna that belong in Fortune Cookies before I go, okay? So, get on to something before you drown. Something good may happen at the casino area. You can break through the wall if you use dynamite. Something might happen if you get on top and swing your hammer. Use the bowling ball to slow down your pursuers. Don't just aim for the legs, aim for the cockpit. And finally, try using consecutive punches. <laughs> <laughs>